to grab your copy of God's Word this morning and join me in Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29, we will pick up in verse 31 where we left off last week as we continue working our way through the very first book of the Bible, a message entitled Dysfunction and Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place where it seemed like there was absolutely no hope? Where the circumstances around you were so crushing that you just wondered, is there any hope in this situation? You know, if you think about it, most movies are built on that foundation. A problem, a situation arises where it seems like there's absolutely zero hope whatsoever until something changes. Some of my favorite movies that I think about, Independence Day with Will Smith, right? Aliens are going to take over the world and destroy everything. There's no hope whatsoever until... He gets in to the aircraft to take care of business, right? And then I think about the movie Apollo 13. They are stuck in space and there's problems with the module for them to be able to make their way back home and Tom Hanks in the midst of everything, right? Figures out how to fix it so they can get home. You know, movies like that speak to the reality that God's story, his plan of redemption takes place in the midst of a world that is incredibly dysfunctional. A world, if we're not careful, where we will think there is no hope. And yet the good news is there is always hope with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we look at the text this morning, I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind. I told you last week as we looked at a pretty dysfunctional text that it would be a poster episode for Jerry Springer. Well, this is the follow-up episode. This is where dysfunction goes to an entirely new level. And yet in the midst of that dysfunction, I want you to know this morning there is Genesis chapter 29, beginning in verse 31. This is God's word. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again, she bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, 
She envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged me, has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You're taking notes this morning, and you can actually do that on the app now, church. How exciting is that, right? You can write down this main idea that will frame our time together in the text. It's this truth, the only hope for the dysfunction around us and within us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but this text is absolutely dysfunctional. I hope you saw that. 
I hope as I read through the craziness that's explained here that you're sitting back for a bit going, that just seems really messed up. And yet it's in the midst of this and situations like this and circumstances like this that it's easy for us to identify the dysfunction and go, wow, there is a problem there. And if we're not careful to lose sight of the fact that our God works through dysfunction, our God is able to work through dysfunction and in the midst of it to bring a measure of hope to us as his people. What you have to know in the text this morning is that the text here is not prescriptive as if this is what you should do. In fact, much of the narrative in the Old Testament is not prescriptive. This is how you should live. It is simply descriptive. This is how sinful people live. This is why we desperately need a Savior. And so as we look at the text, I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind as we walk through it together, because I want to do it in such a way where first and foremost, I want us to zoom in on the dysfunction. I want us to zoom in on the dysfunction that's going on in the text, but then I want us to zoom out and consider the dysfunction in our own lives as well. And then I want us to zoom back in on the text and to see the hope that's there in the text and to zoom back out and consider the hope that exists for us as well. I don't want to bypass the dysfunction because the reality is we live in a world that is dysfunctional. We are a dysfunctional people. And the reason why is because of sin. So let's zoom in on the text this morning. Let's look at what's being unpacked as we consider what the text describes as going on in Jacob's life in this moment. So first and foremost, as we zoom in on the dysfunction in the text, the origin of the dysfunction is sin. The origin, the beginning point of the dysfunction in the text is the result of sin. So let's back up and remind ourselves where we are in the text this morning, because last week we covered this. We saw that Jacob had left and gone from his home to his kindred to find a wife. Remember, he had interacted with Laban, his uncle, and he had seen Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, and thought, she is incredibly beautiful. I would like to marry her. I will work for you for seven years if you'll give me your youngest daughter's hand in marriage. Remember all that? And then Laban tricked Jacob by giving to him Leah, his oldest daughter's hand in marriage. He was too drunk to know the difference. And so all of a sudden, he wakes up the next morning and realizes that he has slept with Leah, the oldest daughter, and that Laban had tricked him. Now there's where the dysfunction starts in the beginning. And then it just continues on because Laban says, listen, I know you're quite disappointed. Jacob says, how could you have done this to me? And he says, listen, seven more years and I'll give you my youngest daughter as well. So we have now Jacob as a polygamist, right? 
And just so you are aware, that is not right, okay? Just put that out there for you in case you're questioning. It's not. Well, how do we know that's not right? Well, God's word is crystal clear on the idea of marriage. God created marriage. We saw this in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 at the beginning of this series that marriage is between one man, one woman for life. That's God's design, God's plan in that. So we know from the outset the sin that's present in Jacob's life and in his wife's life at this moment is they have gone against what God has said should be going on. In fact, this is important because marriage is, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians, a picture of Jesus and his church. It's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why does God take marriage so seriously? Because it is a walking billboard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we as a church family, that is why we as believers must stand strong on the truth of what God's word says about marriage because at its core, it is a picture of Christ and his church. And so here, the origin of all that's transpiring in the text is the result of sin. I want you to notice that that's not just the origin of the dysfunction, but the ongoing dysfunction is the result of sin as well. So as you look at what's going on in the text, it's not just that they began in sin. It's the fact that they continued walking in sinful ways throughout this situation. You say, Pastor, prove that to me. Well, let's walk through the text together and realize what's going on. We see it in chapter 29, verse 31. God saw that Leah was what? Hated. Jacob did not love her at all. Fast forward. Chapter 30, verse 1. Rachel, it says here, what? Envied her sister. Then fast forward to the second part there. She said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. I can only be fulfilled in my life if I have children instead of finding fulfillment in the Lord and trusting him. That was her response. In fact, in chapter 30, verse 2, Jacob was angry with her and said to her, why are you mad with me about this? Am I standing in the place of God? Then in verse 3 of chapter 30, Rachel says, well, I'll fix this. I'll have children through a surrogate, my servant named Bilhah. I'm going to give her to you as a wife. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. Like when sin takes root, it is disastrous. And that's exactly what we see playing out in the text this morning. In fact, as you read through this, you're like, oh my word, not again. Not again. So she gives Bilhah as a quote, quote, wife to obtain what she wanted apart from God's design. And then moving forward in verse 8. We see that she, in fact, celebrates the fact that she had a child through this surrogate and says, I have prevailed over my sister. And then in verse 
9. Leah says, well, if that worked for you, I'm going to do the exact same thing. I'm going to give my servant to Jacob as a wife too and have children through her. Church, come on, right? And then moving forward, we see that there's this plan of deceiving Jacob and trading mandrakes, which Rachel thought would actually help her with childbearing. And I mean, just so much dysfunction. Well, let's zoom out. Because as much as we would want to look at the text and say, there is so much dysfunction in the text, if we zoom out, the reality is there is a ton of dysfunction in our lives as well. There's a ton of dysfunction in this world around us as well. Well, let's ask the question, what's the origin of that dysfunction? Well, amazingly, the origin of the dysfunction in the world around us and in our lives as well is the same origin of the dysfunction here. It's the result of sin. In fact, when you rewind a bit in the book of Genesis chapter 3, you realize that the origin of sin with Adam and Eve affected every single person. We are born in sin. Amazingly, if you've had a toddler, you don't have to teach them to sin, do you? You don't have to teach them to say mine. You don't have to teach them to bite somebody. Have you ever figured out how to, I mean, why? Because we are all born with a sin nature. Sin is simply missing the mark of God's design, God's word, going against what God says that we should be doing. And the reality is, it began with Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, but it continues to affect and infect every single person that draws breath. Our problem in this culture in which we live, our problem in our lives is not some external factor. The problem that every single one of us have is a sin problem. So when we think about that, what we are reminded of is that sin infects and affects every single person. And the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death, separation from God, physical death, we will die one day. That is the result of sin. That is the origin of the dysfunction in our lives and in the world around us. But I want you to notice as well, the ongoing dysfunction that we see is the result of ongoing sin. If you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want you to dial in with me right now because this is what you need to hear this morning. Because of your sin, God's word tells us that you are separated from God. There is no way that you in your own strength and in your own power can earn your way into God's favor. It is absolutely impossible to do that. And for the believer, let me remind you that this side of eternity... 
though you have been saved from your sins. And Paul tells us in the book of Romans, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. We still struggle with sin in our lives. And so the result of dysfunction in this world in which we live and the ongoing dysfunction that we see in our own lives is sin. Now, you look at that and you think, well, that's not very encouraging, Pastor. You're just talking about sin. What's amazing is God's Word talks about sin all the time. And the reason it talks about sin is to help us see our desperate need for a Savior. And so as we zoom back into the text, we may be tempted to look and to think, I just don't see what God's doing in this situation. In all of this dysfunction, I don't see God's hand at work. Pastor, is there any hope in this text? Well, I want us to zoom in and I want us to see the hope that is there. In fact, as you look at verse 31 of chapter 29, notice that it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. In all of the dysfunction, God sees and acts. In fact, in chapter 30, verse 17, as you look here, what you see is that God listened. The text tells us to Leah, and she conceived. Fast forward to verse 22 of chapter 30. God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. There are moments of hope sprinkled in this passage filled with dysfunction. And as we zoom into it, what we're reminded of is that even in this dysfunction, God's redemption plan is unfolding. God is still working through this dysfunction to bring about his plan and his purpose. Well, what is the fulfillment of that plan and purpose? Well, he's already told Jacob that he is going to bless Jacob and that through Jacob and his descendants, The nations would be blessed. And as you fast forward, what you realize is that these sons would form the foundation of the children of Israel, those 12 tribes that we read about going forward in the Old Testament. And that through one of those tribes, Judah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, would come. In all of the dysfunction. We see sprinkled in there hope. In fact, as I thought about that, you know, what's interesting is in the midst of this, what I would tend to think I would have seen, I didn't see. I'll try to explain it to you in this way. When I was playing baseball in college, I was a pitcher, and uh, one of the things that would happen is if I got into a little bit of a rut, a little bit of a problem, my coach would call timeout and walk out to the mound. And we would have a conversation, which was basically, you're an idiot. What are you doing? That was really what it was. Which for me, I look at this, and I'm waiting for God to call time out here. 
and to bring Jacob aside and to look at him and go, hey, you're an idiot. You need to clean yourself up. What is this dysfunction that's going on in your life? And yet, we don't see that happen. And it's not missing because God doesn't care about sin in our lives. That's not it at all. What God knows is that regardless of how hard we may try to clean ourselves up, it is absolutely impossible, which is why. We desperately need a Savior. We can't fix our sin problem in our own strength and in our own power. We are desperately in need of a Savior. And God is at work, even in this dysfunction, to pave the way for His Son, Jesus Christ, to come. So let's zoom out. And let's think about the hope in our own lives. Let's be reminded this morning that God's redemption plan is continuing to unfold even right now and where we may sit back as believers and look at the dysfunction around us and go, what is God doing? Why is God allowing this to happen? And the result of sin is always dysfunction. But never lose sight of the fact that there is hope in the dysfunction because God's redemption plan is unfolding in spite of the sin that surrounds us and in spite of the sin within us. Which means if you've come in this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, there is hope for you. And God doesn't look at you and say, hey, you've got a sin problem. And you need to clean yourself up and fix it. He looks at you and says, you got a sin problem. And regardless of how hard you may try, you can't clean yourself up and fix it. Place your faith and trust in my son, Jesus, who did what you could never do. That is his response to the sinner this morning that's never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to take that step this morning. Don't try to clean yourself up. It'll never work. Trust in what Jesus Christ did for you. For the believer, I just want to remind you as well that there is hope for us too. The reality is we never graduate from the truth of the gospel in our lives. It's not like we trust Jesus, the gospel is real to us, we are saved from our sins, we move past that and then we tackle the Christian life in our own strength and in our own power. That is not at all what's going on. In fact, what God reminds us is that it is impossible for us, apart from His Spirit at work within us, to live out the life that He's called us to live in obedience to Him. And so for us, as followers of Jesus, we must run back every single day to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. And when we struggle with sin, which we will struggle with sin in this life, 
We don't look at the Lord and say, I got to clean myself up. What we look at the Lord and say is, God, I am sorry. God's word tells us he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you may be here this morning, and for you, you are a follower of Jesus. But the dysfunction of sin that is present in your life right now is wreaking havoc in your life. I don't know what the circumstance, I don't know what the situation, I could start naming things and you'd feel convicted and be upset as you leave this morning. And I'm not going to do that. But the Holy Spirit of God right now has already punched you in the heart and said, this is the area of sin in your life. Don't walk out this morning trying to clean yourself up. Run back to the arms of your Savior who paid for your sin, who invites you to experience the fullness of forgiveness and the power to live out what God has called you to do. The dysfunction that we see in the text, the dysfunction that we see in our lives, in the lives of people around us, only makes sense when we consider the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful that God, in the midst of dysfunction, that you are at work. God, in the moments where we despair, there is hope. So, Father, this morning, if there is someone here that has never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, they, this morning, are dead in their sins. God, would you give them eyes to see the hope that is available to them through Jesus Christ? That God, this morning, they can trust in what Jesus Christ has done on their behalf and receive the forgiveness that his life, death, and resurrection provides. Father, for the believers that are gathered here this morning, would you encourage us and remind us of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is our hope. Regardless of the dysfunction in our lives or the dysfunction in the world around us, there is hope. May we internalize that for ourselves and may we be a people who point others to the hope that is available through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, would you stand? Our pastors are down front. Our altars open. If you need to talk with someone, pray with someone, we'd love to do that with you this morning. You respond as the Lord leads.